You're listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church Van Alstine. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Now here's Pastor Mike. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew this morning, Matthew chapter 16. Well, we are in a sermon series called Hold Firm, Getting a Grip on the Confession of Our Faith. And in this series, we are studying biblically-based doctrine, which guides our faith, guides our practice, as expressed and clarified for us uh, as First Baptist Church Van Alstine in what is called the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. The key text for this series of messages is found in Titus chapter 1, where Paul is writing to Titus. Uh, He is giving him instruction as to the qualifications for church leaders, for elders particularly. And he says there, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. And then he tells him why. So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And so uh, because we are living in a world that says it doesn't necessarily matter what you believe as long as you're sincere in what you believe... Um, we would say, no, that's not exactly true, Uh, because two um, opposing views on a subject cannot at the same time be true, Uh, and we find that certainly in uh, the varying beliefs uh, in the world around us, and so we would say it is critically important what you believe, and with that, it's critically important to know why you believe it, and that you can find that uh, based in Scripture itself. Thus far, we have looked at Article 1, the Scriptures, what it is we believe about the Word of God. It is the final authority for us in all matters of faith and practice. We are people of the Word. Uh, We teach and preach the Word of God. Uh, We looked at article number two, that of God, uh, theology proper, and then with that, uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's our belief that God is the one and only living and true God revealed in Scripture to be a trinity of three eternal persons, Father, Son, and and Holy Spirit, and yet still one, a tri-unity. In Article 3, we looked at man. What does the Bible say about us? Uh, how, did, how is it that we came to be? Um, and, and how is it that we're to relate to God? And how is it that He desires to relate to us? Uh, we looked at Article 4, that of salvation. Uh, if it's our belief, according to Scripture, that we are all born with a sinful nature, uh, then is there a remedy for that? And uh, we believe that there is, and that remedy is found in the person and the work and ministry, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So we looked at Article 4 of salvation. Last week we looked at Article 5, God's purpose of grace. And in that article, specifically looked at the doctrines of election and perseverance. This morning we look at Article 6 and 7, that of the church and her ordinances. Now this is a subject that is especially dear to my heart. Uh, In preparation for this morning's message, I spent a lot of time over this past week reminiscing over the past 35 plus years of my life. Uh, I was saved at a fairly young age uh, of eight years old in Garland, Texas, and really from that time forward, uh, virtually every Sunday, with very few exceptions, it has just been understood that I would be in church. And not just doing church, but it was understood that I was a part of the church, Um, And I hope that that's true for you this morning. I hope that uh, you're not content to just attend church or to do church or it's something that's on your calendar of things that you might do on a regular basis, but that you truly are a part of the church. Um, As I was reminiscing, I was thinking of the fact that um, my call to ministry and my call specifically to the local church uh, has afforded me uh, the opportunity to experience some of life's most joyous 
um, just exhilarating experiences. Uh, as I've walked with families through some of life's greatest joys, uh, like this morning, uh, with, with witnessing Timothy being baptized. And I've been there when families welcomed new life into their families, and I've dedicated babies, and, and I've gotten to, to, to witness people as they've been transformed by the power and the grace of God. And, and I've watched them grow in their faith and become more like Christ. And, and um, I've, I've, I've seen them uh, experience victory in their life by the grace of God. And just so many things that have afforded me some of life's greatest joys. But at the same time, my call to ministry has also afforded me the opportunity to experience some of life's most devastating blows, as I've had the opportunity to weep with those who weep. That's what you find within the context of the church. That's why we're to function as a family. We're to share those joys and to rejoice with those who rejoice, but at the same time, we're to divide our sorrows and weep with those who weep. It's how God designed the church. And so by, while thinking about the various events that have transpired over the course of the last 30-some years of my life in ministry, I, I also felt a, an overwhelming sense of gratitude for the fact that the churches that I've had the privilege of serving through the years have survived my ministry. Um, and I mean that quite, quite literally. Um, I started really at a very young age, and I would just convey to you one simple story that will highlight what I'm talking about. Um, I cut my teeth in ministry doing what, what is known as bus ministry. Some of you are familiar with that. Um, a number of years ago, um, it was more common for churches to have a bus ministry where they would uh, go out on Sunday mornings and they would primarily pick up boys and girls whose parents didn't uh, see a priority in bringing their kids to church. And so it would enable those kids to come and, 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 and be a part of the church and to hear the gospel and come to faith in Christ. That was our prayer. And I could point to different examples of individuals who are now adults with families of their own who came to faith in Christ as a result of, of bus ministry. Uh, and so I was uh, given the opportunity, even as a teenager, to be a captain of one of our church's two bus routes. One of my best friends was the captain of the other route. And so we would sometimes have contests to see who could bring the most kids to church. Okay? Uh, we thought that was a good thing to do, to, you know, just to encourage the kids to bring visitors and friends and all those things. Well, some of you might remember uh, years ago, Wendy's, the hamburger chain, uh, they did an ad campaign called Where's the Beef? You remember that? Well, we thought that it would be a good idea to use that as kind of the theme for a contest for our two bus routes. And so my friend and I, we sat down and we said, how about for this contest for, I don't remember how many weeks it was, like four to six weeks or something like that, instead of counting the number of people who ride our buses, we will weigh them. I mean, what can go wrong here, right? I mean, of course, political correctness at that time wasn't what it is today, you know. So we're just we're thinking this is a great idea, and 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 it you know everything started off really good. I mean, the first couple of weeks were great, and then as we were nearing the end of this contest, I mean, it was pretty close, you know, and. But then, if I remember right, it was one of the final Sundays of the contest. One of the kids said to me, my aunt's coming tomorrow. Well, again, I'm not thinking, you know, no big deal. But here's what I need you to picture for me. I need you to picture 30 or 40 kids gathered around a common bathroom scale while a grown woman steps on that scale and the kids begin to cheer. She's 250! She's 250! <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like, 
I look back on that and I think, how in the world could I be so dumb? That's just one example of the many things that I have done over the course of my ministry (laughs) and somehow survived to tell about it. Um, Wow. Well, anyway, this morning, let's look at the church. Article 6, and then we'll together look at Article 7, Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, Let's look at the wording together. It says there in Article 6, the church, a New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an autonomous local congregation of baptized believers associated by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel, observing the two ordinances of Christ, governed by his laws, exercising the gifts, rights, and privileges invested in them by his word, and seeking to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's an important phrase, isn't it? Each congregation operates under the lordship of Christ through democratic processes. In such a congregation, each member is responsible and accountable to Christ as Lord. Its scriptural officers are pastors and deacons. While both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor uh, or elder is limited to men as qualified by scripture. And then there's a second paragraph that is, it talks, talks to us about a second expression of the church. That first paragraph mainly talking about uh, a, a church locally expressed, like this one here, First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. You'll notice the second paragraph says, The New Testament speaks also of the church as the body of Christ, which includes all of the redeemed of all the ages, believers from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. We would call that the church universal or the church global. All right? And then there is Article 7. The ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. It says this, Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior, the believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in the newness of life in Christ Jesus. It is a testimony to his faith in the final resurrection of the dead. Being a church ordinance, it is a prerequisite to the privileges of church membership and to the Lord's Supper. And then the Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience whereby members of the church, through partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine, memorialize the death of the Redeemer and anticipate his second coming. Articles 6 and 7. Now, with that as our backdrop this morning, let's look together at Matthew chapter 16. We're going to look together at verses 13 through 20. And we're told, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, I love how Jesus could, in such a masterful way, use questions. He makes it very personal here, doesn't he? So they've said, these are what some people are saying. But then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And I would hope to echo that same question to you this morning. Who do you say that Jesus is? He's referring to himself here as the Son of Man. He's talking about himself. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is he to you? And so it becomes a question of not just do you know about Jesus, but do you know Jesus? And so he asked this question, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. Now when you see the word Christ in your New Testament, think Messiah. You are the Messiah. Uh, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. Think sliver of the rock. Think small pebble. That's what that name literally means. You are Peter, and on this rock, 
Big rock, okay, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ or the Messiah. So here in Matthew chapter 16, uh, we find one of really only two passages, there are three occurrences, where Jesus used the word church. And yet Matthew 16 uh, is arguably one of the most important passages in all of God's word about the church. Jesus declared the church to be God's victorious instrument for accomplishing his work in the world. And we should celebrate that. We should participate in what God desires to do, is doing through the church. We should celebrate what God has given us and then invest life in the church and what God is doing in the church because of what it is and because of whose it is. And so as I've studied these articles and I've studied particularly this passage, I want to offer you this morning some reasons why we should both celebrate the church and participate in the life of the church. Let's start by first looking at the origin of the church. The origin of the church. Now, some would argue that we find here in Matthew chapter 16 uh, the origin of the church. I I disagree with that. Uh, In verse number 17, you'll notice that the Father, God the Father, is described as revealing who Jesus, God the Son, is. But remember, he had been doing that for a long time before. That's not something that just started here in Matthew's gospel. All right? And so, in fact, when you go to Ephesians chapter 3, and you listen to verses 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, he stated his intention. He said it's this, it's to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. He goes on to say, so that through the church, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In other words, the church has been in God's mind, conceived in the very heart of God since eternity. God has determined that through the church, his work will be done. This has been God's plan. The church's origin is really with God in eternity. And in this passage where Jesus says, I will build, what he is really saying is he's saying, I will enlarge my church. He's not saying this is how I will start my church particularly. Now, what are we trying to say here? The church is not some modern invention that you can decide is no longer relevant. Okay, it is relevant. The church originated with God himself. It is his. The origin is with God in eternity, and because of that, we ought to celebrate it, and we ought to participate in what he is doing through it. Now, we do know that the church was not uh, physically seen, per se, until really Acts chapter 2, where the church was empowered there post-resurrection, and, and you see that. But, but really, the origin of the church goes back much further than that. And so we have then the origin of the church, but then we've also got to look at the owner of the church. I'm sometimes amused that people will ask me, who owns your church? And what they mean is, who physically owns your church? Like, do you hold the, 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 the title deed to the church? Do you own the church? Now, in, in some contexts, that literally is the case. The pastor quite literally owns the church. And we're not talking about 
necessarily physical property. I can assure you, I don't own this church, okay? Uh, from a real estate perspective or otherwise, I, I don't own the church. But, but more importantly, from a spiritual perspective, I don't own this church. It's not my church. Uh, in Matthew 16, 18 here, Jesus called the church my church. Okay, the church is his and his alone. You say, well, what was the purchase price? Well, the purchase price was his shed blood. He, he paid a price for us. That price was his very life. He, he purchased us. He's purchased you. If you've turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, then, then you've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ to make you a part of the church. And see, we should celebrate that. We should participate in that. I love the statements that are used here in our, in our Article 6. It says, A New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ of the Lord Jesus Christ, indicating ownership, okay, authority. It goes on to say later, each congregation operates under the lordship of Christ. And then later it says, each member is responsible and accountable to Christ as Lord. This is his church. In other words, the corporate body and individuals of that corporate body must be under the lordship of Jesus Christ because he is the owner. So what am I saying to you today? I'm saying it's not your church. Now realize what we mean when we say, I love my church, for example. You're not saying that in the sense of ownership. You're saying that in the sense of identity. Okay? I love my wife. Okay? But in the truest sense, I don't own her. Okay? I don't own her. (laughs) No, she belongs to God. All right? And in the same sense, none of us own the church. This is his church. Okay? And, And we should love the church. Uh, and in fact, it, it's, it's, it's interesting to me, and really, uh, when you think about it, it's spiritually schizophrenic to say, like many people do today, well, I, I love Jesus, and, and I, I, I love Christianity maybe even, but I don't love the church. And, and many times what somebody who says that means is, I've been hurt by a church, I've been hurt by a church leader, uh, I've, I've found that uh, my expectations weren't met by a church, and so I just want to be a part of the, the global church, but not a part of a local church. Well, to say that you love Jesus, but you don't love what Jesus loves is spiritually schizophrenic. Okay, it doesn't make sense. Uh, we're sometimes asked the question, well, do, do you have to be a member of the church to be a Christian? Well, in the truest sense, we would say no, okay? But you can't be an obedient Christian, okay, and have nothing to do with the church, um, now, I recognize we've got our issues, not just this church. We're a very imperfect church, and we're imperfect people pastored by an imperfect pastor, so we're an imperfect church, okay? But we're being perfected by the grace of God, uh, and we'll see some more about that here in just a few moments. But he is the head of the church, and so you may see language in Scripture referring to me uh, as the pastor, as the, as the as an under-shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd to the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. Now, for a couple of years, our two boys, Matt and Tim, they rented a little house right up the road here, um, just almost across from the donut shop. And uh, they were good renters from everything we knew and understood. Uh, they paid their rent on time. Uh, they took good care of the place as best they could. Uh, but one day, they were told... Uh, that they had a certain amount of time to be out of the house. And some would say, well, man, how, how, how is that right? What, what gives this person the right to do that? Well, the, the owner had sold the house, and he had every right to do that because he owns the house. It was his. 
Uh, and so in the same way, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church. If the church has an owner, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who purchased the church with his shed blood, the owner of the church. Now, what about number three, the composition of the church? The composition of the church. Again, this is a confusing area today because there's so many differing views. Uh, some churches do not practice, for example, an actual uh, literal church membership. And so they would view anybody who attends regularly as a part of that church. Okay? And so if that person was pressed to say, well, you know, what, what, what church is your church? Or what you, well, this, and so it can mean a lot of different things. What, what really, though, is, biblically speaking, the composition of the church? Well, the Greek word is ekklesia. Okay, and it means, ek means out or out of, and the verb uh, kaleo means to call. Okay, so the noun then means called out ones. Those who were called out, called together to be the body of Christ. In our case, locally expressed as First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. Now again, the Baptist faith and message here describes the church in two different expressions. First, there is a local expression, a local congregation of baptized believers. Also, there is a global expression. It says the New Testament speaks also of the church as the body of Christ, which includes all of the redeemed of all the ages, believers from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Now, if you've ever traveled much and you've worshipped in different contexts, different cultures, um, uh, among different you know, people whose first language maybe isn't your first language, uh, then you know that churches all over the world can do things very differently. Musical styles differ. Uh, the, the way that they do worship, their liturgy, we might call it, their order of service may look a little different. Uh, some churches are more formal. Some churches are more relaxed. You've got all, all these different variations. And, and what little bit I have been able to travel the world and, and worship with fellow believers... There's something interesting. In spite of our differences, there was something that bound us together. I found that there was a commonality. Okay? We, we may have had some, some difficulties communicating with one another because of our language barriers, but, but I found that there was something that united our hearts together, that knit our hearts together, and that was our shared belief that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Savior. Okay, that's what, that's what brought us together. And so we have this local and global or local and universal, two expressions of the church. But you need to understand this. The overwhelming emphasis in our New Testament is upon the local expression of the church because that's where the action takes place. That's where we can make a difference. Okay, so when we recognize that there are believers worldwide who are part of the church, the church universal, the church global... Okay, and we have a common bond with them. Hopefully we have a common goal in, in, in introducing people around the world to Jesus Christ. Okay, there should also be then a local expression of believers. The local church. Now let me emphasize with that, that the church is not to be confused with a building. Okay, I realize that any of us could drive down the street here this next week, East Marshall Street, 121 East Marshall, and go, there's my church. Okay, I think we all understand in our culture and context exactly what that means. But biblically speaking, we don't believe that this building, the bricks and mortar that surround us this morning, are literally the church. Okay, if that were the case, then if a church burns, for example, Lord forbid, 
then that church would then what cease to exist, right? No, but biblically speaking, if the church were to, to be somehow demolished or destroyed or whatever, the church would remain because the church is people. We're the church. And if you've ever been a part of a church that uh, became mobile for a short period of time, for example, I served as associate pastor a number of years ago in a church over in the Louisville Flower Mound area, and we sold a building that we'd been worshiping in for some time. And so that forced us to be uh, nomads, sort of. And so we then began to worship in a, in a school cafeteria for a period of time. And on midweek, we would have home Bible studies. And back then, our pastor would uh, do a short devotional video in his office, and I would record it on a VHS tape. Y'all remember those? And then I would have to duplicate those VHS tapes. And it would take me like a, a full day almost to duplicate that 11 times and distribute it to all of those homes. Okay, so we were, we were kind of mobile, Okay, then we started the process later of, of building another building, and we relocated to that facility. But that church never ceased to exist. It still exists today, still proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we understand then that the church is not a building or a, a campus, but the church is people, the called out ones. And again, the Baptist faith and message emphasizes here the regenerate nature of those persons. So the church is a local congregation of baptized believers. So while we have a long way to go uh, in, in, the, in the area of improving to do uh, what we're called to do as a church in terms of evangelism and discipleship and other matters, in order to emphasize regenerate church membership, okay, we've got we've to make a distinction. And so here's where their confusion comes in many times, okay? People will say, well... Shouldn't we be more welcoming of all different types of people, regardless of the lifestyle that they're living, regardless of how they might identify themselves, and, and so forth? And to that, I would absolutely say, absolutely yes. Anybody and everybody, as far as I'm concerned, is welcome to come worship with us. They're welcome to worship with us. Okay? They may not share the same values, the same views that we might as a church family or that I might as a pastor but they're welcome to worship with us. But there's a distinction between attending and worshiping with us or, or being a part of a worship service and being a member of the church. Okay, by the same token, there are very likely people in any given church at any given time who have their name on a membership roll that probably tell people they're a member of XYZ Church and yet they're really not a part of or a member of the church. Because they've never turned from their sin to faith in Jesus Christ. They're unregenerate. And so while your name may be on a roll, in fact, you might be surprised to know that the staff's been working in recent weeks on um, looking through our membership roles. We, 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 we have 81 pages, okay, pretty much single space, of names of people who are listed as active Active something, not necessarily active members, but active something. Okay, now is that reality? I don't know what the total number is. I would guess that our, our current membership is listed somewhere close to 1,000. Uh, now, unless my vision is uh, not what it once was, I can't remember a time in the now almost four years that I've been the pastor of this church that we've had anywhere near 1,000 people here for worship on a Sunday. So that tells me something's not quite right, okay? That tells me that we've got some work to do because when you really stop and think about it, there shouldn't be any such thing as an inactive member. 
Okay, so it, it, you, you may be a part of, in name, a church. You, you may, in fact, be in name be a part of this church. Uh, but, but it may be only by attendance. It may be that, I mean, you see where this becomes very confusing. All right? So uh, we see no indication in Scripture that the church is merely made up of spectators. Now I realize that even in a crowd this size, we've got some people who are here, maybe you're visiting Um, Maybe you're looking for a church home. Maybe spiritually you are seeking. And we are thrilled that you're here. And you're welcome to worship with us as as long as you would choose to worship with us. We're not compelling you uh, to make a decision for us. We're not compelling you to... uh, That's not the case at all. Right? But the simple truth is, Scripture has, has no indication of the church being made up of a group of spectators. You know, the problem within a lot of churches today is they have some hired staff, and they view that hired staff as their hired guns. We will sit and watch you guys do ministry. You're, you're the professionals, right? You're trained. And so you'll be like our hired guns who do ministry for us. That is not the biblical model at all. The biblical model is that God would use us in our gifting and our calling to equip you to do the work of ministry. Now, don't think that means while Brother Mike sits with his feet propped up, you know, eating bonbons and being fanned, that's not what we're talking about. No, we serve alongside you as lead servants. But the work of ministry is to be done by the, the church. And so, um, at any rate, that is the composition of the church. Let's look fourthly at the posture of the church. The posture of the church. The church is advancing, not retreating. And you see that language here, that imagery in Matthew chapter 16. Okay, the picture here is the church is on the offensive, the church advancing, the idea of prevailing and overcoming. The, the, whole, pack, the whole picture here, a passage, pictures the church on the offense moving forward, advancing, not just surviving, not just maintaining, not, just, not, not retreating to be sure, not just getting by. But advancing. The church is victorious, not defeated. Again, the imagery of Matthew 16 here points to the idea of overcoming, of of prevailing, of winning, of being victorious, not losing. So the church is winning presently. The church will win eventually. And the church will win ultimately. The church is victorious and not defeated. Now, while it is true that most of the churches across America, particularly local expressions of the church across America, are either plateaued or declining. And while it is true that many local expressions are either dead or dying, the church as a whole, the church across the world, the church ultimately is victorious and not defeated. Not defeated. Don't lose heart. Okay, It's time that the American expression of the church quit retreating and started advancing the gospel. Okay, that's not to say that we're just out to win culture wars. Okay, no, our our purpose is to advance the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I find that the church today seems to have too much of a hunker-down mentality, particularly here in in America. Um, We we tend to groan and complain and whine that more people don't like us and and that um, the, the lost world is not enough like us. Uh, So we tend to hunker down. When really we should be walking in victory, the victory that is ours in Christ. That we should be sharing the good news of the gospel. Uh, and so you have these beautiful pictures of the posture of the church. Okay? And then number five, let's consider the purpose of the church. 
Again, here's where a lot of confusion comes. A lot of people have tried to rewrite the script, and uh, they've tried to, to give the church a, a different purpose, or, or various purposes, than the one which were given in Scripture. Okay, that's why many churches today function more like a social club than a church. You know, so you have a lot of people who attend because of how it makes them look in the community, for example, or they'll attend a certain church because of, uh, of the fact that it may uh, enhance their business. Uh, a lot of different reasons that people might attend a particular church. But we have a purpose. And we should have a laser-like focus when it comes to our purpose. Now, there are different aspects of doing life together as a church. Fellowship is certainly one of those. Okay? But the church, the practices, the purpose of the church is to worship, worship the King of kings and Lord of lords, to mature disciples as people come to faith in Christ, And so then everything that we do in terms of our methodology should be a reflection of that or should point back to that ultimate purpose. You heard this morning that Timothy Moore made a profession of faith as a result of vacation Bible school, right? Okay, that's a very tiring event. It's an event that that, uh, we, we dump a lot of resources into every summer. Okay, it's not something that we do just because it allows us to fill up a week of our calendar and have, uh, you know, a cool activity for kids, Okay, we do that ultimately for the purpose of introducing boys and girls to Jesus Christ. Okay, we, do we have fun doing it? Absolutely. Okay, and we could point to other areas of ministry in our church, but they all ultimately serve that same purpose of introducing people to Jesus Christ, proclaiming the gospel. Now, some have described the 20th verse of Matthew 16 here, then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Some would say that that is the most obeyed verse in all of Scripture. But you've got to understand, he told them that for a time and for a reason within the context of Matthew chapter 16 here. Okay, it was not yet time for him to be revealed as the Messiah. Okay, so, so understand that. What we do know is that we're told later, even here in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, where we find the Great Commission, right? Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. There are others. That we are, in no uncertain terms, to proclaim the Gospel and get the Word out. That's what we're to do. Now, never is a pastor more frustrated, never is a pastor more wrong in his focus, when he is overwhelmed with the thought that I have to build my church. And we pastors have a tendency to do that. And some more than others. Some some will focus a lot of their time and energy and lose sleep over nickels and noses, we call it. Now that's not to suggest every nickel and every nose is important. Okay, But ultimately, I've not been called to grow the church. That's not my primary purpose. My primary purpose, my goal, is to be faithful to the one who's called me. Okay, He's building his church. Now, there are things that certainly we as individual believers are to do in obedience to the Great Commission and and what we've been called to to advance the gospel. That's the purpose of the church. And we're going to finally look at number six, the ordinances of the church. I'm going to spend a lot of time on this because we've had other teaching in the not-too-distant past on these things. But Article 7 here describes baptism and the Lord's Supper as ordinances. Now, I want to clarify something for you. The word ordinance, ordinance, it means decree or or command, literally. Uh, They are ordinances as opposed to sacraments. Now, depending upon how you grew up, uh, you may have heard that word sacrament used uh, more commonly. A a sacrament dispenses grace. 
In other words, you are saved by and benefited by the doing of the ritual if it's understood as a sacrament. Well, we do not view these ordinances as sacraments. They are ordinances. In other words, they are symbolic acts for us. Acts of worship that God has given us to testify about what he has done. I'll give you an example of this as it relates to baptism. When I'm counseling, uh, particularly one of our kids, for example... We want to make certain that they understand the gospel, that it's not just some emotional decision that they're making. One of my friends got baptized recently. Think that. So a lot of times, if they're in my office, I'll point to a picture of my wife that sits over on my bookshelf. And I'll ask them, I'll say, hey, is that my wife? And typically they'll say, yes. And I'll say, but is it really my wife? And then I'm like, no, it's not really my wife, because my wife is right now, she's over at We School teaching a four-year-old class, or she's at home with my daughter, Addie. No, that's a picture of my wife. Okay, it's not really my wife. And then I go on to explain, that's what baptism is for us. Baptism is a picture. It's an outward demonstration, an outward testimony to the decision that we've made to place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so that's what we have in the ordinances. Baptism testifies to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. We ought to celebrate that. We ought to participate in that. And you need to realize there in Matthew chapter 28, what we call the Great Commission, if you understand that passage correctly, we've been given a command. Okay, We are commanded to baptize people. Okay? In our day, there are those who want to minimize the importance of baptism as if it's some optional part of the Christian experience, as if there's some sort of a Christian experience buffet and you can pick and choose the things you want to, to make a part of your experience. That's not the case with baptism. I had a friend of mine one time, we were jogging partners, and he said, why is it that you, you Baptists, like you view baptism as just a good work, like going down and working at the soup kitchen? I said, no, we don't. And I got to explain to him what it is that we believe and and why it's important to us. And we don't just view it as some sort of a good work. The Lord's Supper, it's a testimony and acting out of what Jesus did for us on the cross. His broken body, his shed blood for us. And so the Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of worship to help us remember and celebrate and anticipate his coming. His coming. So today we have investigated the church, the church global, the church local. Two expressions of the church. And my, my plea to you, my challenge to you today is to celebrate that and to give your life to what God is doing through the church. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church Van Alstine. FBCVA is located at 121 East Marshall Street in Van Alstine, Texas, or you can visit us online at www.fbcva.com. Be sure to visit the Sermon Archive for more messages from this and other series.